All right. Well, here we are. You heard who I am. My name is Dick LeGro. We've been coming seven years to Four Corners. I'm, uh, I'm only here today because it's hard to say no to Ben <laughs> on the telephone when you're driving. But anyway, the, uh, I said I'm a little nervous because August 5th, I'm going to be 79. Seems old. I haven't preached from the pulpit in 34 years. And we had light back then. Uh, I'm mostly worried that I can see the scriptures, uh, which I, right now I see none. And I have a lot of scriptures in this message today, so we're, uh, ah, hello, hallelujah. Anyway, it'll be a good time. I, uh, I'm going to be all right. I want to really talk about John. Sometimes, you know, when you live as long as I'm living... And you start worrying about counting the days of your life instead of whether your life is meaningful. Uh, you begin to question things. So some of the things I'm going to bring about John the Baptist, really kind of, I, I go through my life. And I, so some of this will be a little reminiscing, some will be a little relating. But I mostly want us to focus on a time in John the Baptist's life that almost shocks you if you really know John the Baptist and what all was part of his life. And so in Matthew 11, 1 through 6, I can see after Jesus had finished instructing the... Oh, no, that's it. Thank you. Whoa, you got to get used to this, you know. They come up here with their computers and all, and I'm going, hello. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, after Jesus had finished... Are we in the same... Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, there we are. Okay, I got it. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the town of Galilee. When John, I'll get used to this, you hang on, we, we may have one verse by the time I quit. Uh, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, he heard all that was Jesus was doing in prison. He said, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Can you imagine John saying that? Everything you know about John the Baptist, you, can you believe that he says, are you the one, or should we expect somebody else? Have you ever had that in your life? Have you ever known somebody that had that, where you thought they, all they did was point you to Jesus, and suddenly they go, is he the one, or do we look for someone else? And so when you really begin to develop this, you begin to find out just what happened to John the Baptist. I, he, we know him. He was introduced with the full force of his personality in Matthew 3, 1 through 12. Don't ask me why I put so much scripture in this sermon but I'm getting ready to read Matthew 3, 1 through 12. Back there, hello? There we go. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Thank you. This is, I'll get used to this. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole reign of the Jordan, region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to him where he was baptized, he said to them, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Then they produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can have say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that all of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John was an amazing person, unusual dresser. Isn't it amazing that even back then they talked about what they wore? I, I, uh, I, I grew up in an era, I worked for eight years with a pastor who said, we dress for the king, dress for the king. I mean, I could hear that over and over. He brought me a pair of floor shine shoes because he said, every time you buy shoes, they look like bedroom slippers a week after you wore them. So I spent $100 on floor shine shoes. I could never afford another pair. But nonetheless, and one time he said to me, now Dick, you need to get those long stockings and put on your legs because when you sit up in the pulpit, you used to sit up on the platform. Do you remember those days, some of you? And then he said, people don't want to look at your hairy legs uh, when, when you're preaching and when they're watching you. And I think, oh, could he be here today? But anyway, <laughs> the, it's just, he, he, it's so much of that. I, I remember back when I grew up in Cal- L.A. and grew up in Compton, and I went to Disneyland the year uh, the week it opened. And later, as a Christian ed director, we sponsor a night at, King, at Disneyland. And my job the first year was to stand out in front and make sure any young man who had hair over his ears was not allowed into Disneyland. Have you been to King's Island lately? <laughs> Unreal. But it, it's just kind of one of those things where... Today, I, I interviewed for a job at a retirement at the Westchester Library, and one of the questions, I said, how do you handle change? I said, I wear jeans to church. That's change. It didn't get me a job. <laughs> I actually don't think they hire men at the Westchester Library, but that's another story. He ate locusts and wild honey. Clearly not a fan of established religious leaders. He called the Samaritans a brood of vipers. I, 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 I pray for Ben all the time. It is not easy to be a pastor today and have convictions. Franklin Graham said this last week, some of us may die for saying the truth and trying to preach the truth. And, and it was not easy. He called it what it was, you brood of vipers. I can hear us saying that today. We ought to be so politically correct. Fire and brimstone message about religion. He didn't care for those who thought they just grew up in religion. You know, he said, why, God can take these stones and make people of Abraham out of it. You know, you flown, I traveled a lot, and people would be talking to you. You get the best conversation going, and then they say, what do you, they found out you used to be a pastor. Whip, they pick up the magazine out of the back of the seat, and they suddenly tell you that Aunt Mabel, I have an Aunt Mabel, she goes to church all the time. I mean, they, they, they all, how many people lean on somebody that will not save them at all? And he was willing to say, you, just because you're children of Abraham, you think that's saving you? Brood of vipers. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was a, lived in the wilderness. Not the person anyone would think would come. Do you think God can't use you? Look, he's using here. This is the one he sends to tell us about the Messiah, the one who is to come. But John was a voice who proclaimed the coming of Christ. It was beyond doubt. John sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you the one who has come or should we expect someone else? It's a question you all have to ask. If he's not the one, then why are you here? If he is the one, then what are you doing to make sure that all you do in life is try to point people? Sometimes you'll be used other different ways. I'm going to try to share a little bit of that one. That yet with John, the question seems extremely out of place. How could John be uncertain who Jesus was? They were cousins. Mary and Elizabeth were pregnant with their sons at the very same time. In an extraordinary story recorded in Luke, we are told in Luke 1, 39, at that time Mary got ready and hurried to a, a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zach- Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. 
When Elizabeth heard Mary's reading, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she explained, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that my mother, my Lord, should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy? John, from early in the womb, recognized who Jesus was. He was the Savior. He was the Son of God. And even in the birth, he felt that. And it seems that God was prepared even beyond that to make sure that John had no doubt who Jesus was. His mission was to prepare the way. His job was to point people to him. And in John 1, 19, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders, I can't get used to that, I'm going to by the end of the second service. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He never intended to gather a following unto himself. His goal was that everything he did would point people to the Messiah, point people to Jesus. Isn't it amazing that he would use a man like John? And then John in 135, 37, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus, he said, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him, they said, say this, they followed Jesus. And his whole job was, even though you know me and you follow me now, there's the Lamb of God. Follow him. He's the one you want to follow, and they would follow. And so, so in the process, John was clear about who Jesus was. He was absolutely certain about the totality of Jesus' identity, so much so that he led his disciples until they followed him. Why wasn't he running to Jesus then, saying, are you the one or not the one? He knew he was the one. It was beyond question. In between those two encounters, we find uh, why John was so certain. In John 1, 29, 34, he says of this, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, the Lamb of God, it takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has, has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him then, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man of whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And he said, I have, later in John 1, 29, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. I, it was beyond doubt. And he says the reason was beyond doubt was because of the time he baptized him. He baptized a lot of people and no one had the the what happened to John. No one else whom John baptized had that kind of drama surrounding his vent. A voice came from heaven, amazing special effects, a dove. John was neither unclear or uncertain who Jesus was. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and up 
and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I have loved. With him I am well pleased. With all of that, from the time he was in the womb of his mother and he, he felt the Spirit of God as he recognized that Jesus even in the womb of his mother. And then later, knowing that his, pointing him to them and then to confirm it, even though he sometimes said, I, I wonder sometimes, but after the baptism, it was all over. Never have I had a voice from heaven tell me, this is the Son of God. I've had a, a, the dove come down and say, this is the Son of God. So, what was John thinking then later? How could he send his disciples with a question like that? How could he be gripped with so much doubt that he would risk spreading that to his disciples? Can you imagine the disciples say, all you do is talk about Jesus. All you do is say he's the one, and now you're saying, go ask him, is he the one? Or do we look for somebody else? Have you ever had someone that you just respected because of their love of the Lord, and suddenly something happens and they just lose it? And you think, what, what, did you, what, what, what is this all about? And he, he risked so much by his disciples even saying, what, what, John, what? Why would he ask you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Well, you don't have to go too far to find what John was doing. In Matthew 14, 1 through 12, it's a lot of scripture to read, but John at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had addressed John, arrested John, and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, It's not lawful for you to have her. John wasn't afraid of what to say. He told people what it was. Sometimes we're so into the politically correct, we can't even confront people who are living in sin. But nonetheless, he was arrested, and Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. And of course, on Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guests and pleased Herod so much that he promised an oath to give her whatever she asked. Challenging. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on the platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted and had John beheaded in the prison. Why was John asking this question? He was in prison. He was facing death. And I suppose he couldn't... It, shouldn't he expect Jesus to drop everything? I mean, he, he was the forerunner. He was the one who pointed everybody to Jesus. Shouldn't he expect Jesus to drop everything and come to his aid? He had always been there for him. Where was he when John needed him? Was he unaware that John needed help? I'm about to die here. I'm in prison. Was he indifferent to John's d dilemma, or was he simply not the Messiah, as John had always believed? Been in difficult situations? When Jesus received the inquiry from John's disciples, he gave an impressive response in Matthew 11. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. First, it sounds like a message of inspiration. An impressive list. The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. 
people with leprosy being cured, the deaf are hearing, even the dead being raised, good news being preached everywhere. Aren't you rejoicing that John said, I heard that in prison. If you listen to read the scripture first, he said, I heard that in prison. I knew all that. But what about me? But John already knew. Where was John when he entered in prison? It didn't eliminate John's death. Why would Jesus doing so much good jeopardize John's faith? Why was he not excited? One line in the response that just doesn't fit. Blessed is a man who does not fall away because of me. It's a strange scripture, but we've all been there sometimes. I, this is just reminiscing. You know, I'm not going to preach again for a long time. And I got, but I, I, I was a pastor for 20 years. I was a youth pastor with a, issues where smoking, drinking, and dancing. <laughs> I pray for our youth people all the time. What issues you have today. I was a Christian ed director. And then I was a pastor. I, I loved being a pastor. I loved seeing lives change. I loved, uh, I met every, for three years, I met every morning of the week with a different group of men. We studied the Bible together. We prayed together. We ate together. You always want to eat together because you get a lot more information when you're eating about people and all. And I, I, to see lives change on a daily basis. But I hated to study. You can tell that today. I didn't like studying. And if you're going to be a good pastor, you better like studying. And I was worried that people would hear, oh, well, where did you get that sermon? Well, I don't know. I went up there, John MacArthur. I, I tried. I even went to, I used to go get tapes from John. That's been back when you used to preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible. You know, maybe you're doing Romans. I'd go get John MacArthur tapes or Swindoll tapes, you know, and listen to them. I'd go up to John MacArthur Church and get the tape ministry. And one day they said, do you want to see John's office? Well, why not? He's a saint. So I... I I go in and he's got all the commentaries I have, but he has them in wire racks. All in this. So what did I do? I went home and bought wire racks. It didn't do one bit of good. And I just, every week Carol knows what I went through trying to say, this is, Lord, I'm not here. I always loved bookstores, so I called a friend who worked for Brian. And I said, in August I took a test. And he said, well, by January we're going to have a place maybe you can use. So I, I tried and finally I said to Carol, it's October, it's not fair to this people, even though I love the ministry, I love seeing lives changed on a daily basis. We got to, I resigned on a Tuesday because I thought the Lord would take care of us through October, November, December. He had some real money somewhere. I don't know where it was, but he's going to provide for us. I call, on Tuesday I resigned. On Wednesday I got a call from Brian to say, we got to move faster than we thought. How soon can you go to work? I was working the next Wednesday. Both. You never know how... You look back on your life and you say, Lord, what were you doing? Oh, I see. You just wanted to see how much I was going to risk. So I worked in the bookstore. You Suddenly, you're not meeting every morning with a different group of men. You're not seeing lives change. But you do see people standing in the book department in the marriage or something. And you know they're going through a divorce. You can inspire, help them, encourage them. Maybe they're going through a death area. They've lost a loved one. Maybe they're buying their first Bible. I used to run the Berean store, you know, here. And they... And I'd have one preacher in town who stood by the Bible counter so many times that if you bought anything but the King James Bible, look out, you were in trouble. I used to say, oh, thank you, Lord, for sending these preachers here. But anyway, I, I, then I began to see, yes, Lord, I'm, I may not be preaching anymore, not see, but I see people's lives being changed. Where are you in your life, your job? Then I moved from the publishing side, I moved from the 
selling side to the publishing side. I worked with Standard Publishing for 10 years, and I was suddenly in an office surrounded by people who knew the Lord. They were all editors and writers and great scholars, and I'm going, oh, dear, what do I do now, Lord? I'm not, not effective at all. Then people would say, you know how many thousands of boys and girls use Standard Publishing Vacation Bible School this year? Oh, thank you, that's good. Lord, how many people use the Standard Lesson Commentary all across the country? And then, of course, I... We had a wonderful baby's first Bible, a little yellow handle. You know how many thousands of those we sold? And you had to find, well, Lord, you're, you're, you're changing lives. You're, I'm seeing it done. Sometimes it feels like I'm not being used, but I see what you're doing. Then after retirement, I got bored, so I decided to work at King's Island. And the first year, I sold tickets and, and did the turnstiles, did the parking lot. You know, people don't want to pay $10 to park at Kings Island. They don't, they got to pay 12 now. $10. I have people argue with me. Carl Leonard gets all the money from this parking lot. <laughs> One guy, finally I said to him, I said, this is, this is not my career. I do this for fun and I'm not having any fun. <laughs> and then the, and the four C, the four corners pastors would go by in their car, hold up their gold passes. One, hi Dick, hi Dick. And I'm like, hi man. Hi, Greg. Enjoy the day. <laughs> and then later, I moved to the money room. Talk about counting cash. Carol used to say if I didn't have ten fingers and ten toes, I'd be in serious trouble. But I counted big dollars. Interesting, I worked in the days they were all old men, old bankers, old teachers, whatever it is. And one of the, my bosses, I had several bosses, used to work for me. Did you ever go to work for some? Oh, he loved the fact I was now working for him. He told someone I used to be a pastor. So then I lived through every swear word in the world. Act like I didn't hear it. My dad didn't know the English language. He only knew swear words. I remember one time he had a friend over. He swore every day. My dad said, stop cussing in front of my son. He's studying for the ministry. And I wanted to say, Dad, you don't even know any English words. (laughs) He's not living now. I wouldn't want him to see that tape. Uh, But anyway, and then they'd try to tell dirty stories. And I'd sometimes think, Lord, I'm not in prison, but I'm not being used. And then I discover what God is doing everywhere. And you can hear the words of Jesus saying, do you know what I've been doing? People are, lives are being changed, blind are seeing, the lame are walking, people with leprosy being cured, the left are The deaf are hearing. Even the dead are being raised. And across the world, you see thousands coming to Christ in China, coming to Korea and all in Africa. You see changes in America where people are coming from everywhere and churches are growing. You don't hear it on the media. All they want to do is tell us about terrorists. They don't want to tell you how God is moving this way. I come to Four Corners. Some people say, why do you go to Four Corners? It's dark. They got lights. They got smoke. And I said, well, sometimes... On Saturday night, I get an emotional blessing, listen to the Gaithers, although that's kind of by on the way. The other day, Carol and I went to a concert in Indianapolis with Booth Brothers. It was a sea of white hair, a sea of white hair. And I said, if someone were to come today and say, Lord, how's the church going? They'd say, it's dying. That's why we come to Four Corners. I walk in this building and I see young men's lives being changed. I, I grew up in a church with one man besides the pastor. And today I see young men trying to lead their families, trying to serve the Lord. You walk in, they're making coffee, they're running the sound system, they're trying to help me read these words. 
and you just know that God is doing some significant things, he may not always get it done in your life. He may use you in other ways, but the important thing is every day are you pointing someone to Jesus? What do you do in retirement? What do you do when you're going to be 79 years old? You can't just sit. You've got to keep. I, my job is to keep encouraging Ben, keep encouraging Greg and Will, these men who have their lives on the line. I wouldn't want to be a pastor today. What you have coming for us is going to be tough. And you better have God really in your life because it's not going to be easy in the future. And yet, at the same time, I haven't a clue where I am. <laughs> it was the note, the note from Jesus, blesses a man who does not fall away because of me. Jesus was really saying, John, I'm not coming through for you. I'm not getting you out of prison. I'm not sparing you your life. Yes, I've done this for others, but the path I choose for you is different from theirs. You'll be blessed, John, if this does not cause you to fall away. Have you ever been in situations where you say, Lord, you'll be blessed, Dick, if you don't fall away because I'm doing things over here, doing things with other people. And he knew all along, John had done everything possible to fulfill what God wanted him to do. And he said, why do I want to take you away from this experience, you're going to be soon with the, in the kingdom of God. You're going to be with the God who put you here. And I'm not going to save you from that. Why do you want to not be in the innocent or will of God? And, and I look back over my life and say, well, gee, I stopped. I didn't get to see lives change. Yes, but I did see people and help them in a bookstore. I was able to see people use curriculum, even in King's Island. But that's when I would come here and see how God was using and growing and ministering to people. Uh, we had a couple over the other day that used to be my boss. He's in his 70s. Their whole goal this year is to pray and visit and minister to every one of their family. They have a blended family. They have a lot of sons and daughters, husbands and wives, grandchildren, children. And their goal is to visit, every, pray every day for them, visit every day with, I mean, spend a week with them. They were just here with one of their daughters. They plan to help them around the house, do what they can. They want to know where they are with the Lord. Are they active in church? What are you doing to disappoint people? He's not worried about how long a life you're going to live. You know, sometimes I think of 79, I think, I remember aunts and uncles when they turned 80. I thought they were ancient. If you're 80, I'm sorry. But I, God is not concerned about how many days I'm going to live. He's concerned about how am I living. He saw John the Baptist live out what he needed and what he had, and he was thrilled. It's not good news for you, John, even though Jesus knew the purpose was not to save us from pain and suffering, but from meaningless for Jesus, John was exactly where he needed to be, fulfilling God's purpose for his life. Why would he save John from that? God created you so that your life would count, not so you could count the days of your life. Sometimes not easy. I've, I've had two times of being in a hospital for 30 days. Not easy. I was awful. I, I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't understand what the Lord. I had a wonderful nurse one time who said, you're not dying here, Mr. LeGrow. Get your act together. You ever have a pity party for yourself? 
Well, John was in that, but God was saying, why do I want to take you? Do you think John the Baptist felt safe being in the center of the will of God? Jesus was busy proclaiming the good news to others, yet leaving him in prison. It was the safest place for John to be. Joy of being with the Creator was soon to be his. Stephen, all we know, preached one sermon. That was it, but used. Paul, hardships, shipwreck, follow me, follow him into the unknown. Better than living with everything in the world and minus him. That's what you need. I wonder how many of us are in the place of John the Baptist where God is asking, are you willing to lose everything on my behalf? To gain everything I desire for you. Rather than living a long life, are you willing to live a life worth living? Not my will, but yours. Later in Matthew 11, 7, Jesus said, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? A knot? If not, where, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. You will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I'm sure there were tough, tough days in prison. I'm sure as much as John said, I've given a whole life to you and now here I am. Ah, but no greater born among women than him. I have kind of a verse of scripture that I've always used forever, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. He says, thanks be to God who always leads in triumph. Not once in a while. Not now and then. Oh, well, think about it. Always leads in triumph. And we're a fragrance. Are you a fragrance? As you walk on this earth, sometimes God's not going to use you in the pulpit. He may use you at King's Island to try to encourage people. I don't know where he's using you, but he always has one thing for you and that you would triumph, and that you would be in aroma until he calls you home to be with him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for example of John. Sometimes we can relate. Sometimes we question, how could he have known so much about you and question who you were? But sometimes in difficult situations, we're unable to understand. So use us today, Father, and I thank you for these people who have been willing to listen and share. I ask your blessing in Christ's name. Amen.